one. Well, the world has gone nutty, muddy, buddy. Even downright cruddy, buddy, buddy. Wish I missed the past, buddy, buddy, but there's still buddy cats. No, don't be nutty, go meet everybody here on buddy cats. and gentlemen, please welcome the founder and host of BuddyCast, Nick Sorensen. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to everybody's favorite show, BuddyCast. I'm your host, Nick Sorensen. Joining me today, very special buddy, a local buddy, a buddy I've been wanting to talk to for a while now and finally got on the show, my buddy, Lisa. How you doing, Lisa? I'm great, Nick. Thank you so much for having me. I, I think I have just a ridiculous amount of respect for you. Like you're eerie royalty. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. It's an I'm just as honored to have you on here. You know, thank you. I've thank known you. you for, we've known each other for a while. We're family friends. Yes, you know? I've known your family for a long time. Mm-hmm. You and my sister in high school. I definitely did. You know, and I gotta. I still- <laughs> Yes. You know, I got to ask a story about a good story from her, you know, about her time with you. I'll try to think of one. Uh, you know what? The best part about one of the best parts about her is that I don't have anything that's terribly ridiculous, because if mm-hmm. you make that list as one of my students, it probably means you're honestly horrible. <laughs> <laughs> if I have something that memorable from you, it's usually because I'm a comedian. It's usually something that's awful. And I don't, I don't think I have anything like that for her. I just, one of the the things I remember the most about her is that she was just one of the best writers I ever had. Mm-hmm. And I would always try to find something wrong with her papers. And you couldn't find anything. Oh, I'd make sure of it. Oh. Even if it was a comma, <laughs> you know, but that was the, that was the best part of her. She's the, she's the type of woman who thrives off that criticism, you know? I know. And, you know, I'm, uh, I'm very sensitive and this is not an easy business to be sensitive in. So Mm -hmm. I I need to, I'm working on having a thicker skin. Mm -hmm. So, so that brings up a good question from teacher to comedian. Well, tell us about this transition. I've always been a comedian. So, and I've actually always been a teacher, honestly, Uh, ever since I was a child, I've been funny. And I come from two extremely funny parents and I've always been performing. Like they encouraged me. I would perform like little shows in my house. And the first time I ever did stand up uh, was about 13 or 14 years ago. And I started emceeing at when it was juniors last laugh, which is now Keller's modern magic and comedy. And um, so I've always been funny. I've always been, been doing, I I can't shut it off. There's no way to shut it off. And Mm. I've always been a teacher. Like my sister is 11 years younger than me. And, um, even when she was a child, I was always setting up like school for her and the two have always gone hand in hand. And when you're the funny teacher, um, you can, you can get away with a lot. Students actually enjoy coming to your class. So I feel like 
I was an effective teacher in a lot of ways because students enjoyed being there. So I could actually teach the material and we had a great time. And, you know, plus they're full of ridiculousness, especially as high schoolers. Um, it was just time for me to give it up. Mm. I got to say, number one, you're absolutely right. It's the teachers that make the class enjoyable, that make the class funny. That Those are the ones you remember. Those are the ones whose classes you learn from because you know it's going to be a good time. Nothing to worry about, you know? Right. You just, you can't wait to get there. And it was those mm -hmm. teachers that I had, like one of whom I still talk to. And he's in, gosh, he's close to 80 now. And he's one of my favorite people in the whole world. Somebody who's greatly mentored me. And I just would sit in his class with such like enthusiasm because I felt like he knew something about everything and he was so full of life and experience. And so when I was teaching, I always would say to myself, like, what would Mr. Martinez do right now? And he would always take the teachable moment. And I think that's so much of what comedy is too, is um, it's the teachable moment, whether I'm teaching myself about people and life and laughing about things or uh we're all like helping each other process something so that's i don't know i feel like comedy and teaching just go hand in hand and when a show is not going great i just kind of treat it like a classroom sometimes i can become the mean teacher <laughs> which i'm not proud of because i just get like so upset i need to work on that um but I also remember that not everybody reacts the same in a situation. Like I'm sure you've been at many comedy shows where uh, laughter was like egregious and overwhelming. And then other shows where maybe people weren't laughing as much, mm -hmm. but it was still funny. And I've had so many people come up to me after shows and be like, you were so funny. And I had such a great time. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I saw you in the audience. You were barely even smiling, but it was the same when I was teaching, like not everybody reacts to the situation in the same way. So you might not be guffawing and like falling out of your chair, but you're still enjoying yourself. So mm -hmm. I think that it, the teaching has been my greatest preparation for comedy too. I was about to ask, have you seen like aspects of teaching going into your comedy or have you used like some things that you learned from your experience as teaching and put it towards comedy? Yeah, I think you have to. Um, I, th I think some like when you look out on an audience, it's just like looking out on a classroom. Some situations need to be addressed and some do not. Um, sometimes you have to be the person who dispels a situation or like kind of tries to, you know, like there's that drunk person or somebody who can't quiet down and try to deal with that like you would a noisy student. Um, mm. Or there's that person that you really like, you can see that they really want to be maybe in the conversation, but they're not really a part of it. So you try to like engage them more. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I like that. I like the fact that like you see like the the um, drunk heckler as like the noisy student, you know, because we oh. all sat through class where we had that one student, you know, we had that one fellow student who just literally didn't know when to be quiet. Like just didn't know, like you could, the teacher could be veins popping out of their head and everything as they've just screamed at him 10 times. They already have detention, you know, and everyone else is there just sitting like, dude, just yeah. stop. Like, it's honestly know. so frustrating for everybody. And I just recently wrote an essay about um, if you're not, laughing, then I need you to shut 
the up, you know, like. Thank you for keeping it family friendly. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I just, people didn't pay for a ticket to see you perform unless you're the one that has the microphone. And you know how it is like you and your fiance are busy people. My husband and I are very busy people. Um, If we get to go out on a date night, the last thing we want is some to sit next to a group of people who are just running their mouths at a comedy show or whatever performance it is. Let the person who's on the stage have that moment and let the people who are at the tables experience the magic of being in the performance, not whatever circus sideshow you have going on right now. Bingo. You're exactly that. Like I said, it's right. It's the same with teaching. Like what you want to learn this material because you know you're going to be tested on it. Meanwhile, these two kids over here don't know what, you know, but it's just like that with comedy. You know, yeah. it's like, you know, we were there for a reason. We want to escape the outside world. We want yeah. a good laugh. We want just uh, the only thing I want to be worried about tonight is what the community is saying. You know, the only fear I want to have tonight is, am I going to get picked on tonight? Am I going to be the <laughs> one they try to, you know, something like that. But at the same time, I don't want to be worried about what these two, you know, what the two tables next to me are having for dinner tonight or what they're planning on doing tomorrow or how this person's day went, you know, good for you, you know, it's, and for me as a, as a comic, it's incredibly distracting. Like, Mm -hmm. um, you, you stand on a stage and you're worried about your time and you're watching a clock that's sometimes in the back of the room, depending on like what club you're in. Mm-hmm. And you know, like, okay, maybe I have 15, 18 minutes, or maybe I have 32 minutes or whatever my mark is that I'm supposed to hit. And then you're trying to like, for me, I always memorize an outline. So I know the topics I want to hit and how I tell those stories. So I'm trying to remember like the seven or eight topics I want to hit, depending on how much I have time I have. Then I'm like interacting with the audience because maybe I see you and I'm like, oh, I know that guy or like you look interesting and I want to chat with you. And that distracts me. Then mm-hmm. I've got to get back. I've got to, you know, rein myself back in. But then when there's a person who's incredibly distracting to all of us, I sometimes have no idea where I was. Yeah. And I, I stand up there and I, I flub around and it's incredibly embarrassing. And luckily I've been at shows before where I've looked at people in the audience and been like, do you guys know where I was? Because I honestly don't remember. Mm-hmm. That honestly gives me a good question. Every comedian has them. Do you have a good heckler story? Keeping it family appropriate, of course. Actually, I, I have a I have one that was very upsetting mm. um, that happened just a couple of weeks ago. Uh-oh. And um, I'm sure you've heard I'm sure you've heard my hot dad's routine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, now I've kind of, you know, like cha- I've shortened it up a little bit and um talked about the fact that now that I've left teaching, there's really only one thing I miss. And I try to go into it fairly quickly because I don't want people to scream out what they think I missed. Unless, unless I ask you like, what do you think I missed from teaching? And a lot of people will say like summer vacation, which is a very fair response. And yes, I definitely (laughs) miss summer vacation, but, um, this one guy yelled out, you miss the free lunch. Well, first of all, like teachers don't get free lunch. If anything, we end up paying for students who don't have any money and we don't even think a thing of it. Like we know we're never going to get paid back. We just care about the fact that everybody's eating. 
And if so, if a student comes to you and needs money, like that's, it's a no brainer. Like you want to make sure they're eating. So, um, I knew he was making a fat joke. Honestly, I, I knew that's what it was. Cause I could just see the way he was. I don't know. Maybe I was misreading him, but maybe it's just mm-hmm. like the, the sensitive, like fat kid for middle school in me. I don't know. And I just looked at him and I said, is that your sad attempt at a fat joke? Because honestly, like I've really never heard that before. Like I've just never been exposed to that. And then I said, you know what? I feel targeted by you. And then I thought, you know what? This guy is not going to own my moment. Um, I said, you know what? Never mind. I feel seen. I can see the way that you're looking at me. So catch me on OnlyFans. Ooh. And then I just, you know, I said a couple other like derogatory things to him, honestly, which probably didn't need to happen. And then I moved on. Mm -hmm. I can relate. There was a time I was doing an open mic with Anthony Morelli Mm -hmm. and the entire time I was on stage, there was this guy just shouting out things. Like I have a funny winter joke about how, okay, Lisa, you know, you hate winter because you step out into the, into the snow and your ankles get cold. Oh, poor you, you know, <laughs> things like yeah. that. So I go into that joke and he's commenting on it. Like they were blue before. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, I finally, I got to the point where I just turned to him and I said, sir, I have a question for you. A lot of people ask me, you know, how small am I? I want to ask, how high are you right now? There you go. And he started (laughs) to answer. And I said, no, no, no. I'm not asking about your physical stature. And then literally he was the next comedian. He was the next guy on stage. And he ate it. He just like, no one was laughing. You know, the guys that he brought were trying to laugh, you know, like, Kind of right. like when you bring your parents to a show, they're going to laugh at whatever you say, even if you're not making a joke or something. I don't know. My dad does not laugh. He, yeah. even when it's really funny, he just sits there. Mm-hmm. But those guys were laughing. They're like, come on, he's funny. And we're all just sitting there like, no, he's not. You know, someone even yelled out in the stands after, or in like the middle of his act, little guy was funnier. <laughs> you know, good. And then the next comedian basically threw him out of the place saying like, you think like, kind of like what we're saying, like, you think it's funny? There are people out here who are giving it their all, who are trying their best every, you know, to do this. And you're just having fun with them or something. Like you're just trying to do that, you know, get out of here. So, yeah, it really, um, a couple of weeks before that one happened, uh, Speaking of which, like when you said that the guy that was giving you a hard time was actually one of the performers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing happened to me at one of the uh, shows at one of the breweries here. I didn't even know that the guy was performing, but once he got up, he started referring to me as a dyke. And Ooh. I'm like, you know what? It's it's one thing like when I make reference to like funny things about myself, but like you're not going to get up here and talk yeah. about me like that. And that's the thing with comedy. Like, yeah, I can make fun of myself all I want, you know, because I know my limitations. I know, hey, you know, here's where I'm comfortable going. Like, I'm comfortable saying, you know, um, something like I'm comfortable talking about maybe an experience I had with someone or how, you know, like I said, winter. Oh, I envy you because the worst you get is your ankles get cold or something like that. You know, just things like that. But when it's someone else you know, doing it, that's when, you know, you know, there's a line there that just gets crossed or there's a line. Like I always say, 
I can make fun of myself in comedy all I want, but my comedy will never be used to make fun of someone that I know can't handle. Like you'll never hear me mocking anything. Like you'll never hear me mocking someone with a disability, never hear me mocking someone because they're like sex, race, anything like that, you know? Yeah, sure. If you tick me off or something like that, like if you're like, you know, like my sister's ex-boyfriend or something like that, then by all means, I'll fence her off, you know? But until then, you're not going to hear me like make a joke because this guy's different than everyone else. Or you're not going to hear me do that. You know, like it's kind of like what um, Charlie Chaplin says, where my um, my pain may be someone's laughter. You know, maybe the reason for someone's laughter, but my laughter will never be the reason for someone's pain. You know, it's true. So, yeah, I comedy has been uh, my greatest coping mechanism, and I'm sure you can relate to that. Oh, Absolutely. It's like I've spent my life getting to the joke. I think that's part of how I became so funny was mm-hmm. um, I just spent my whole life trying to get to the joke before everybody else, anticipating what their joke might be, and then trying to just make it better and tell it better than mm-hmm. them, even if it was self-deprecating. Mm-hmm. And they're absolutely right. Like I, That was my risk to going to, into comedy. I'm like, you know what? People tend to stare at me, laugh at me sometimes you know, point me out and remind me that I'm different from them as if I didn't hear, I didn't know that, but thanks for, <laughs> yeah. thanks, for me not, you know, yeah. thanks for informing me. News or breaking news, everyone, you know? Yeah. So I'm like, why not, why not try it on stage to get them to set the bar? Like I said, to set the bar of here's where it's okay. You know? I feel like for um, you, it's, I mean, yeah, maybe people are being rude, but for, for me, like if I was looking at you or I, it would just be a matter of like curiosity. Like I have all yeah. these questions, mm-hmm. you know, which I'm sure other people do too. Oh, I can, and, write, we could write a book on it. Oh, I, maybe you should. I know. And I know and there's a difference between like what you're saying. There's a difference between like general curiosity and just the point where, you know, someone's trying to get what they're, you know, it's all about the intention for me. Right. It's and all it's, about like. If you, you know, maybe you're not accustomed to dwarfism. So you're thinking, you know, like you have general questions. Like I went to a Wendy's one time and a cashier's like, I don't mean to offend you. You're the first little person I actually met in real life. I just, I have some questions. I'll take your order. But I have some questions and I'm like. In real life. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, you're not even in the ballpark of offense and let it rip. And she asked what I call the brochure <laughs> questions. You know, how do you drive? Are you the only little person in your family? Uh, you know, like what's. Like, how do you do this? Like what's, you know, things that the basic Q and A's that everyone asks, you know? So, and you know, you're, and that way you're taking the teachable moment. Exactly. You know, and, and I feel like that in that manner, we just, you know, you're, you're helping create a. It's spreading awareness. Right. And tolerance. And Mm -hmm. you're helping create a culture of understanding, like how, how can we get to know people if we're not, if we're not allowed to ask the questions? Bingo. And that's where I think it starts at an early level. It starts at the early education levels. If you can, I'm working, you know, I'm working on things like getting into schools and stuff like that. So that way, if you can get them at an early age to understand, or even writing a children's book, if you can get them at an early age to understand that guy is just like me, just smaller. That's it. Right. I actually had a children's book on that I wrote. I'm like, you know, explaining like different abilities, explaining different men, explaining how they're just like you, you know, mm-hmm. this is so-and-so just like you, he can do this, but maybe he 
sees differently than you because he's blind. This is here, you know, they can still do this, but they can't hear well because they're deaf. That's the only difference, you know, things like that. I was was this close. And then I found on it, a friend texted me on Amazon or an Amazon picture saying, uh, is this the book you were thinking of? Exact title, exact same message. I'm like, are you kidding me? They read your mind. Yep. So life lesson, whenever you have an idea, get it out as fast as possible. You know, I think about that with comedy. I'm like, oh, this is such a brilliant thing that, I mean, most of it comes from my own life, but I'll be like, oh, this is so funny. Like now I'm, I have a dog now. So, um, I'm like, I want to do all this stuff about my pet. And I think this is so original. And then I'm like, maybe I should Google like stuff about dogs and people's dog comedy. Cause maybe it's not that original. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe you need to do some research like your Amazon thing. Exactly. So I've got to ask if we're, we're talking about taking risks here, we're talking about, you know, taking chances. What was the motivation for you to take the comedy risk? Like to just risk it all, go all in, put all the chips on, you know, all the chips are on the table this is what you're doing. I appreciate the question. And I love your enthusiasm about it because people have been so weird about it. Um, it was time to leave teaching anyways. Um, for like the last four or five years, I just was really unhappy in that position. And I, I had been performing more aside from COVID, of course. And it's really hard to be performing on the weekends and wanting to work on your craft, but I'm not the kind of person that can do something a little bit. So I couldn't be a teacher like a mediocre one. I'm either going to be a teacher 300% or I don't want to be a teacher at all. And when you're a good teacher, you spend a lot of time, um, And I taught writing mainly. So it was a lot of time outside of school and I didn't have time for my own writing, my own reading and uh, performing all weekend and working on my jokes and practicing. And I just felt, I just was so torn in so many directions. And I'm like, I don't, I don't even want to teach anymore anyways. I just, and I also didn't want to leave the profession at a time when people were like, wow, she should have gotten out a while ago. Like she was burned out. Mm-hmm. And it was a natural transition in my life. And I think I'm not getting any younger, despite like how nice my Mary Kate skin is. Um, I'm not getting any younger. And my husband said last year, like, don't sign your contract. Um, sorry, the screen was like buffering and I got nervous. No, you're um, good. It happens. Okay. Call that a Walt Disney moment. Okay. Magic. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, with the encouragement of my family, it was just like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to leave. I'm not going to sign up for another year. And I I would rather work 10 jobs and try to make this thing happen full time. I've always known in my heart that it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. I've known since I was young that I was going to be a stand-up comic and then, I've always known that I was going to be a thing. I'm like, all it ta- all it's going to take is for somebody to see me mm-hmm. because I'm funny. Like most of the time, maybe not always at eight 24 on a Tuesday, but <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I just, I think life is too short. And I know people say that, but I really do know that. I almost lost my life when I was 31. And uh, that was 13 years ago. So every year, every day is a gift. And I never want to regret. And I knew if I didn't try to do comedy, it would be my hands down my greatest regret. That's, I didn't want to live with that. That's awesome that you live, number one, living that way, you know, living the way that every day is a new day, every day is a gift, you know, and number two, you're right. It's all about going for your passion, waking up to a job. Like I just got a new job and I wake up every morning going, I get to go to work rather than that's awesome. Waking up, up, hitting the (laughs) snooze button and going, yeah, I got to go to work again. You know? Yeah. I, I really struggled. So I love that you are happy. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I really am. So, and when you feel that happiness, it's just like a huge weight lifted off of your whole chest. 100%. It makes, it makes going to work so much better. Yeah. I'd rather I, work like I would, I'm, you know, it's a good wage and everything like that. But I always tell myself, I would rather work for a job that's, you know, that I'm barely getting by, barely scraping, you know, like I'm scraping pennies together just to make it. But yet I'm the happiest guy in the world rather than work for the job that's paying me thousands and thousands of dollars that I have to motivate myself to go into every day. Like I have to exactly. give myself a pep talk every day to go, you got to go to work. You got to make money. You got to do this. You're going to mm-hmm. do, you know? Yeah. My husband said that he was like, Lisa, we've always been broke. Like you should be broke and happy. There you go. There you go. So yeah. I got to ask you now, what, you remember your first time on stage? You remember your first experience? Yeah. Tell us about it, on, it. It honestly was so good. I not every time since then has been great, but you know how that is. Um, mm-hmm. I I had told everybody in high school like I'm definitely going to do stand up. Like that's part of my life plan. And fast forward into my I don't know. I think I was 31 or 32, the first time I stepped on a stage. So it took me a while from high school to finally get the nerve and the platform to do it. And I had signed up to be a guest MC at juniors. You know, you introduce the opener and the headliner. So you get a couple minutes. I think you got like maybe five to seven minutes or so. Mm Mm-hmm. The first time I signed up to do it, I actually like called them and I was like, you know what? I really can't do that date. And I was like, made something up. And then I thought, no, you need to just do it. So I told everybody that I was doing it and what weekend I was doing it. And I thought if I want to bomb, I want to bomb in front of people I know. And if I'm going to be awesome, I want to be awesome in front of people. Either way, I just want people in the audience to look at me and be like, she tried and we still love her. The place was packed. It wasn't all packed with people I knew, but I got on that stage and I freaking owned it. And it was so good. I mean, I was prepared. I worked really hard to be ready. And um, one of the people who owned the club said, we wish we would have known that you were going to be this funny. We had no idea. Uh, We would have taped you. You could be, uh, we could be sending these tapes out all over the country and blah, blah, blah. That was the first time I was on stage. Wow. Yeah. So it gave me a lot of confidence and I am so grateful because I can only imagine if I got up there and bombed, I'd be like, you know what? Maybe this isn't for me. Mm-hmm. I kind of, you know, I could see that, but in the same way, I'm kind of like the reverse guy. Like 
I went to an open mic at the same club. That was my first on-time experience because I talked to comedians after they come through, you know, I'd always mm-hmm. take a minute and ask them, hey, what's, you know, for someone dabbling in comedy, what can you, you know, what can you advise? Like, how do I get to where you are? And they all give me fantastic advice. And the number one thing they tell me is stage time. Mm-hmm. Right, what it you is. Stage time. And so I finally got that stage time. I found that opportunity because that was when Juniors was doing the open mics. I didn't even think twice. I made my schedule around that, around mm-hmm. that hour. And I thankfully got a spot. But I was, wasn't was told was that how it would, the first time they did it, it was kind of like work in progress, you know, like you build from every experience. And they didn't tell us the lineup ahead of time. So I'm sitting there wondering, okay, five, I've got my family sitting to the side of me. Okay, uh, you know, we're down to the final, like, five comedians. I should be any minute now. Okay, now we're down to the last three. And when it was down to the last three, they said, okay, it's going to be you, you, and then you are going to be the headliner. Meanwhile, my family sat through all these comedians. They're ready to go home. They're just like any minute now, you know? So (laughs) at that point, too, where everyone's like, we've seen all these comedians. Uh We can go home, blah, blah, blah. But then the second time, so, you know, that year, that could have been discouraging, but I thought, you know what? I'm going to keep at it because I got some. Good for you. I'm going to. Do so, I'm gonna keep at it. The second night, I got my first room laugh. I can't say what the joke was on Buddy Cast, but I'll tell you off air. I got okay. my first room laugh, and it it shocked me. Like it made me freeze. Like, like what just happened? Like this isn't was like, it just the most exhilarating thing when people laugh was. at something you intend them to laugh at? <laughs> yes, it was. I'm like, yeah. I'm going from just a little hee hee ha ha over here to full rim laugh like what you'd hear at a comedy club. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, this is it. And from that point on, I was just Hooked. straight on. Yeah, no, it is. It's great mm-hmm. when it's it, it's like technology. When it works, it works. <laughs> exactly. When it doesn't, it's so frustrating to me. But exactly. So now I mentioned something earlier that I want to ask you about. I want to ask you about your writing process. What to tell us about that? Tell us about how you write new jokes and you know what all that's like. Okay, I've always been a writer. I love to write. Um, I love to write essays. I love to write all kinds of things. Comedy, I always bring a notebook. There's a notebook with me at all times. Um, when I go out with a tiny purse, there's a tiny notebook in my purse. When I have my giant purse, I always have a giant notebook. So um, anyways, I always have a notebook and I always am jotting things down. If I hear funny, like if I overhear you, a funny line of dialogue or because as a writer, I would always do that. That's a great story starter for me. Um, So the key for me is always writing things down that I think I can make a bit out of this or this funny thing happened. Like I fell in the bathroom uh, trying to sit on the toilet and then I totally missed it right before I was about to go on stage. Like that happened. I feel like I can make a bit out of that. It's just my life. So I, I write it down. I used to always tell my students, write the first draft with your heart and then revise with your head. So I get stuff down on paper. I jot notes down, details, things like that. And then I go back and I talk it out. And then I usually will type it up after it's been handwritten and then try to like rework things. And then I retalk it through again. 
And then when I'm preparing for a comedy show, it's a little bit different. Like when I'm working on bits, like little short bits, that's how I do it. When I'm trying to put things together, I think, all right, who's probably going to be my audience? How long do I have? Um, Should I, you know, like, do I have time for like seven topics? How many minutes do I have? Uh, What time of the year is it? Like, is it the holidays? Like all those kinds of things. And then I make an outline based on that. And then I go through my notebook and I think, do I have stuff I already want to use? What can I build on? That's my process. And then I just keep talking about it. I love it. I love the head to the heart thing. That's that's inspiring. Now, speaking of hearts, don't go anywhere. We're playing a quick word for my sponsors, so we'll be right back. Okay. Tonight's podcast has been brought to you by a compassionate heart massage therapy. Heather and her six other massage therapists are well-trained and can perform any type of service, from deep tissue to relaxation to even showing you how to perform a massage on your canine friend. Heather is a good buddy of mine. She's been on BuddyCast before, so you can check out that episode and see all the services that she has to offer, or you can learn more by visiting a compassionate heart dot com that's compassionate heart h-a-r-t dot com or by giving her a call at 814-456-5853 tell my buddy that buddy sent you now go be someone's buddy and that was a compassionate heart massage therapy so i don't know if she she can teach you how to massage your dog that's what i said i love that I know I've got a I've got a 25 pound dog right here probably nearsing <gasps> through this episode so he's uh I'm always like do you want a massage? <laughs> Mine's like I want treats. <laughs> oh, I'll take both. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now you've helped out the local comedy scene here. You've been on stage with our local comedy um our local comedy uh excuse me. Local comedy venue, now Keller's, Modern Magic mm-hmm. and Comedy Club. What's that been like for you now that it's Keller's? You know, honestly, I was so um, weird about the magic at first. Just because my experience with magic was so limited. Um, I don't know if you ever experienced this at Max and Irma's when you were there. But like, <laughs> all I can remember is that I'd be trying to eat my tortilla soup and some guy would come around and be like, let me show you a card trick or let me make a balloon animal. And I'm like, I, I don't want, I don't really want this right now. And I know that, that the magic that these professional people do is not that. And you know what? The people at Max and Irma's or whatever they're, whatever it is, they're trying to earn a living too. And they have their own craft. I just wanted to eat my tortilla soup. <laughs> You know, so um, I remember Bobby Borgia, you know, the club owner saying to me, you know, Lisa, just come in for a show, like, just see the magic. And I think it's also because it's something I don't understand that. um, And I like to be mystified, but I just I can't figure any of it out. It's way over my head. I, I love it now. I'm I'm totally. I don't know enamored, I guess is the right word with this magic. And I think he does a great job of doing his best to couple uh, personalities that he thinks will, will vibe together. Like whether it's a magician and he wants a comedian to open or vice versa. And uh, I feel like they have a lot of great people who work 
there and I don't know Bobby's been good to me. So I really appreciate his support for my career. I like when people um, who have been in the business for years are willing to help people who want to be in the business because, you know, uh, being a buddy is everything and giving somebody a helping hand in a business and helping them understand things. This is a foreign concept to me. Um, entertainment is totally different than education. It's a lot flightier and I'll leave it at that mm -hmm. without trying to, to offend anybody. <laughs> yeah. I'm truly glad to hear that. Bobby's been good to you, you know? Oh, he has. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's good when you have good support from the club owner. Yes. And, you know, I, he's always been very honest with me too, mm -hmm. which is something that I appreciate. I don't want people to tell me they think I'm funny if I'm not, mm -hmm. or to tell me that a performance, like if I'm thinking like that a performance didn't go well to tell me like, Oh no, no, it was fine. He will stand in the back and listen, or he listens over the speaker and he'll say, you know, what really worked about that was this, or are you hearing that every night consistently people are laughing at this one thing? You should go with that. Um, or if there's a night that didn't go well, he's like, honestly, I've heard that bit quite a few times. You told it better than you've ever told it. The, the crowd just wasn't receptive. If he thinks I could have improved on something, he tries to give me advice on how to improve it. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why I like honesty is the best policy, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, it's just like when I, again, it's the teaching connection. Uh, students would get nowhere with their writing or their other abilities that I was trying to help them with if I was like, oh, yeah, your essay is fine. No, honestly, it has no argument. And it's terrible. But you find mm -hmm. a better way to say it. Mm -hmm. And then help them fix it. Don't just tell somebody what's wrong with it. Help them fix it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I appreciate when there's a mentor out there that's like, I like this bit. It was good, but here's how I can be great. Right. So. Or, you know, he gave me really good advice. Um, it seems like something that's so simple in comedy. A few weeks ago, he said to me, I actually was filming for um, America's Got Talent. I auditioned hmm. for them and they wanted some more video. So we were the one night we were doing some more video for them. And he said to me, when you watch that video, listen to what the audience laughs at, not what you think is funny. And he's so right. I, I write the jokes and so I'm partial to them. Or it's the stuff about my life that I think is the funniest. But sometimes I'll tell it a different way or some bits where I'm like, this part's okay, but people love that part. And he's like, Lisa, listen to where the audience laughs, not to what you think is funny. He's not wrong. So I've paid no, more attention to that. Like you listen to how people react as opposed to what you think they should be reacting to. Brilliant advice, actually. I, it's simple, right? But it's <laughs> genius. And you're yeah. right because you, you watch a video yourself and you, you're cracking up because you're like, that was my favorite joke. But then you just get a little <laughs> over here yeah. or you think, yeah, this joke could have been, you know, this or here comes this joke because you know, like you kind of cringe a little like here uh -huh. comes this joke. But then you all of a sudden you hear more laughter and you're like, well, that was different, you know? Yeah. Which, you know, some of the my favorite writers have written about writing 
And uh, one of my favorite writers, Annie Dillard, an American essayist, she will say things like, when you want to really revise something, sometimes you have to jettison your favorite part, like get rid of it, like you're too attached to it. So maybe it's really not the best part of your essay. You just like it too much. I mean, we have to look at things with a more critical eye, I guess. Mm-hmm. So speaking of heroes, I got to ask now, who are some of your comedy heroes? You know, uh, in comedy, everybody asks this question, and I find it very difficult to answer because stand-up comedy is very hard for me to watch. Mm. Are you surprised by that, Nick? I am. So I'm going to go back to my favorite people that I like to watch since I was a child, and I still watch them. This might surprise you that my parents let me watch these people, but I grew up in an Italian home, so my dad let us start swearing when we were 10. Um, <laughs> One of my favorite comedy heroes is Eddie Murphy. Ooh, good one. Yes. Eddie Murphy for sure. And then that turned me on to people like Chris Rock. I don't know what it is about thin black men that I just think is so funny. Like I, I, I've got a whole list of them, mm -hmm. but then, you know, there's other people. Um, as far as women, I also love this comedian named Miss Pat. I don't know if you're familiar with her at all, mm -hmm. but she's tremendous. And one of the, one of the best things she said reminds me of your chart of the Charlie Chaplin quote is um, it talks about how we deal with our pain through laughter. Like our greatest pain is what, you know, helps us to um, create our greatest laughter coping mechanism. I love it. But then I love Chris Farley too. Mm-hmm. I never like saw him do stand up, but how can you not love a man who's willing to jump on, I don't know, furniture, scream about living in a van down by the river, pretend like he's a Chippendale. The man was very versatile. And I asked him to prom when I was in high school. I never got a response, but I figured uh -huh. you just ask. Yeah. Never know. That's right. That's, that's my, that's my theory <laughs> with buddy cast. Just ask. You never know what you're going to get. And you'll be surprised sometimes you ask and they're like, yeah, I do podcasts. What time do you want me on? Yeah. You've had some like real heavy hitters on here. And I'm like, what does he want with me on here? <laughs> and like, I love how everyone's like been asking me, what's your formula? What's your secret? I'm like, you just ask. Yeah. These are real people. Like they're people too, you know, they're right. Yeah. They've done X, Y, and Z, but at the same time, at the end of the day, they're just so-and-so. Right. And you know what? I love that you're so, well, you know, you're easy to talk to too. So mm -hmm. I think they can sense that you're just a good person mm -hmm. and you'll get, you get a long way by just being a good person. Mm -hmm. I've actually, you know, I've had Sinbad on this show and oh I, my God, him, he's one of my favorites. <laughs> yes. And I yeah. told him, I told him to his face, you know, as honored as I am to talk to you today, I told him this on live air as honored as I am to talk to you today, right here. And believe me, I'm like, I'm holding in my excitement. I'll let it all out after we're off air. But I'm just as honored to talk to the local piano teacher down the street. Yeah, who that's I've awesome. known since kindergarten. You know, I'm honored to talk to the local comedian who's doing yeah. her thing right now. You know, so don't ever think Thank you're you. not, the, you know, don't ever think like you're just another, you know, this compared to that. Please. You're a buddy. Thank you. That's well, what's on this show. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's funny because um, you were asking me about, uh, you know, like taking the risk of being in comedy and taking the leap. I mean, I left a almost 20 year job mm -hmm. to do this. And 
when I told people uh, towards the end of the year, I didn't like make a big deal about it. I told my bosses with enough time that they could find somebody else. And I'd said, I don't like want any fanfare. I just want to leave quietly. I've done my job here and I, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for that. People think like when you stand on a stage, you want everything to be a circus. It's like, no, that's, I'm actually an extremely introverted person. I love to be alone. I don't need a fanfare circus sideshow all the time. I just want to go gentle into that good night. And, um, when I would start to quietly tell people like my coworkers, they would say, Oh, do you have a, like a school schedule for next year? Like, what are your classes? And I said, um, I don't have a schedule. And they thought I was being fired. And I said, no, I'm, I'm actually not coming back. What, what are you going to do? Like, like if you're not teaching, you can't do anything else. I said, well, I'm taking my show on the road. I've tried to tell people that for a long time, like, this is what I'm going to do. People will either react with, oh, okay, like, good luck with that. And I think in some ways they're sincere about it, but they're also kind of nervous for you, which, you know, you're nervous about it yourself, but I haven't been nervous. I just felt like it was the right move. Mm -hmm. And then other people are so mean about it. They're so mean. And I think it's because maybe they really want to make a bold move and they just haven't had the courage to do it. Mm-hmm. Or they feel like they can't. I, I don't know for whatever reason, but they've been hateful. Mm-hmm. But you know wow. what's important? How it looks to you doesn't matter how it looks to other people. Oh, no. In no. the words of Rocky, in the words from one of my favorite movie series, Rocky Balboa, it's how it looks to you. And if this is something you want to do and this is something you got to do, then you do it. Why That's not? right. You're you right. Know? Fighters fight. And, and haters going to hate, right? Exactly. I, I would rather be hated because I'm following my dream and doing what I love to do rather than love because I just sat down and just minded my own business, you know, just right. was another. And just kind of blended in. Another brick in the wall, you know? Right. I don't think anything about, about us is another brick in the wall, Nick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. And that's Favorite Rocky movie. Out. Yeah. Favorite Rocky movie. Which one? Definitely Rocky 2. Because oh, that's the movie where he gets everything he deserves. You know, this is a guy who's been fighting his whole life. He just wants to be a good guy. He gets everything. Family, wife, the title, the, the, everything. The kid, everything. You know, he gets it all and he's earned it all. Not because it was given to him, like, not like, okay, you know, we're going to put you up against this weak guy who reclaims the champion and you're going to be you know, you're going to get the tough, but he earned it. He goes the distance, he fights, he prepares for it, you know? So definitely Rocky too. You had like, like you knew your answer right away on that one. Oh, 100%. A buddy of mine, I was watching Rocky for the first time and they said, you know, I told her, look, watch Rocky one and then you got to watch Rocky two. You know, if you don't like it by Rocky two, then I can't help you. But no. if you got to watch it by Rock, by, by the end of Rocky one, she was like, well, now I want to see what happens in Rocky. She's like, I'm ready for this. Da, 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 da. And then in the end, she, I had her, like, I had her on the ropes because she's like, what's going to happen? What's going to do that? Like, you know, because you know the end of Rocky too. Oh, I you know them all. Going to the, they're going down to the count. And she's like, what's going to happen? And I'm like, just know. And I sent her this message. I'm like, just know that in the end, 
Rocky's already won. So now she's thinking, oh, great, he's going to lose. But I'm like, no, no, you got to hear this. Rocky won. Pause the movie for a second. Rocky won because in the end, he's won everything so far. People thought, you know, people made this fight for him because they thought it was going to, they wanted him for his name, the Italian Stallion. They thought this was just going to be another publicity stunt. He proved them wrong. You know, there was a woman out there who initially wanted, you know, kind of nothing to do with them. He showed his heart to her and she fell in love with him and now they're married. You know, now he has a kind of, because of that love, they have a child, you know, and so he's won everything so far. And now she's still thinking like, he's going to lose though. And it's going to be so heartbreaking. And then she gets to the end and she's like, you jerk, you had me thinking he was going to lose. I'm like, can't spoil everything for you. No. Nick, are you always this optimistic? I always, I look at life this way. I'm always looking up in life, whether I'm talking. I love that. Yeah. If I have to talk to someone, I'm always looking up. So that's been my life philosophy. Always. Well, you know what? It's metaphorically and literally it's working for you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So now welcome. talking about optimism, what are your hopes and dreams when it comes to comedy? You know, I just, uh, my main goal is to just continue making people laugh no matter what situation I'm in. That's my goal. Mm-hmm. Um, my goal is to eventually make this my primary income so that I don't have to work multiple jobs because it's exhausting. (laughs) It's exhausting, but I feel like I have control in my life right now uh, because I'm doing what I want to do. Not the exhausting of like, let me teach all week, do shows, uh, still prep for teaching for the next week, et cetera. Um, So I I want this to be my primary income and I want to be able to go out to different cities on a variety of stages and meet continue to meet people. I love meeting people. I love connecting with people. Um, like I said, I'm very introverted, but when I need to be, I'm extroverted. When it's showtime, I, l- I like to be on stage, but I love meeting people. I so I hope to like, I would love to have a, like some kind of special, like there's a, a special funny women of a certain age. I dream of being uh, with other, especially like other women comics, because we are a rare breed. I mean, we're becoming more common in comedy, but mm-hmm. I dream of being with women, especially middle-aged women, um, just being ourselves and letting loose and uh, having the power to do our thing. So I, I really hope to at some point be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And you're right about women comedy. I, for number one, I don't like discriminate. And when it comes to any comedian, whether you're this or that, I see you as a comedian. I right. don't see you as, you know, <laughs> but one of my favorite comedians of all time, Tammy Pescatelli, mm-hmm. you know, what yeah. I love about her, she, her stage personality and her real personality are like two separate things because on stage, she's tearing you a new one. She like, She's the person you do not want to pick a fight with because you know, oh, no. you in fact, you are going to lose this fight and you are not going to go down without mercy. You know, you're not going to go down with mercy. It is game over for you. But she's, stage, Ita- she's the Italian stallion. Mm-hmm. Off stage, <laughs> you know? she's the kindest person you've ever met. She, yeah, she's a sweetie. Yeah. So there was, a, here's a funny story with her. I went to see her in Meadville and like, for some reason, I just got really relaxed so I kind of like was sitting there, kind of had my arms crossed, you know, just relaxing. And I was in the front row and 
she looks down at me and she goes, Claire, you have your arms crushed. Are you not having a good time? And then she freezes and she's like, I know you. You're my friend. I know you. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, she's, you know, it was one of my greatest honors to open for her um, at the Women's Expo in Erie. My dad actually is the person who turned me on to her when we mm -hmm. started watching her when she was on Last Comic Standing. My dad, you know, being the diehard Italian that he is, she just tells stories that I feel like no matter if you're Italian or whatever, like you can just relate to these ridiculous yeah. families. Okay. So it was something my dad and I always did was just talk about Tammy and, and whatever. And then when they called me and said like, Hey, we need an opener and you're going to open for her. I'm like, are you kidding me? Finally, I'm a middle child. I'm going to be seen by my dad. I'm going to open for his favorite comic. Like, this is crazy. Number one, She's... I, could totally, I could totally relate to the middle child thing, oh. you know, cause you know, my sister, Abby, you know, you know her, if, if Abby ever got a B in her life, she grounded herself. That's oh it. yeah. That's like, a failure. Yeah. And just for yeah. me, meanwhile, me and my brother, we get a B and mom's taking us to dinner or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> Pizza but party. at the same time, you know, so I'm the middle child. I'm the younger brother of the two-time valedictorian. You know, I consider her a great success in the family. She got jobs straight out of college, currently yeah. holds two jobs, you know, love her to death. Beautiful home. Yes, she's going to be the maid of honor in our wedding. And then I'm the older brother of a kid that got sent to the principal's office the third day of kindergarten. <laughs> Yeah. But at the same time, he is, you know, just to give a disclaimer, he has shaped up very well and yeah. so much so that he's going to be the best man. So sweet. You're surrounded by great people. Yes. My comedy from that comes. You can imagine my life coming home every day as a male child. Hey, mom, guess what happened at school today? You'll never go. Be right with you, honey. On the phone to your sister. She just made the Victorian again. <laughs> yes. You I know. Oh, never mind. <laughs> but then you come home the following day. Come on, about yesterday, I be here with you, honey, on the phone, your brother's principal. Yeah. What's your, never mind. Just always trying to be seen, Nick. I get it. Yes. <laughs> so I, I always make that joke on stage. Like, I'm just a middle child who's trying to be seen. Like, if you're a uh -huh. middle child, I see that look in your eye. Like, you've been abandoned. I get it. <laughs> yeah. The middle child syndrome is a real thing. It is so real. It's so, and you know what? It's funny. In, a, in my classroom, even when I first met students, I could almost always pick out the middle children. Mm -hmm. They're just quirky like we are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, you always think, okay, if I'm unseen, then I can't get in any trouble. Mm -hmm. If I'm unseen, then something, you know, worst case know. scenario, you break something in the house, you just said, I'm the middle child. What's going to happen? Nope. They, they don't even, they don't even know me. It's fine. Yeah. They don't exactly. remember that I exist. It's fine. But then you do something and all of a sudden, they, hey, you're that child, you know? Yeah. So now is a good time for me to ask, do you have any upcoming shows you'd like to promote? Tell us about. I have a lot. Actually, I'm excited that I have a big schedule. Lately. Ooh, let's hear it. Yeah. Um, let's see. Where should I start? Well, this Saturday, I guess I'm on stage at Keller's opening up for a guy who's done all kinds of things. Um, including voice work for Transformers. And I don't know, Ooh. maybe he's, I, I've never seen him perform before, so I'm really excited about it. So I'll be there Saturday night. And then I have my own show on March 11th at the Polish Falcons, which is almost sold out. So that's cool. And um, what's after that? 
Let's see. Um, I'm performing out of town for some teachers, which is neat. I love to perform for teachers. Lately, these teachers groups have been hiring me uh, for conferences. And I think they're hiring me so that I can say what they can't say because I'm not a con on a contract anymore. And I love it. They're my people. And then I'll be at... I'm actually doing a comedy competition in Columbus at the Funny Bone, April 5th. And Ooh. then I will be, I know I'm excited about that. And then I will be at Keller's again, opening for Doc Dixon hmm. towards the end of April. I'm thinking of my schedule. I'll be there again. <laughs> in may opening up for greg morton oh Ooh. um I, he's my boy he's oh also i will be at keller's the weekend of saint patty's day opening for greg hahn who people know from bob and tom mm -hmm. tell my buddy greg morton i said hey oh my gosh he and me Is are he and me are on texting terms and he gave me some of the best writing advice he said you know because i ask about that all the time i'm like hey you know so he said, just write. When you wake up in the morning, have a notebook and pen by you and just uh -huh. write. It doesn't have to be comedy. It could be anything from what you dreamed of to what's on your mind currently to even just gibberish. Because when you do that, your mind gets moving. The clogs in your mind start getting, start moving. And then you're more attentive to your day. That's amazing advice for uh attentiveness to the day i love that connection i used to tell my students and i try to make a habit out of this myself that the more you write the you know the more often you write the more you'll find your own voice and your own style it doesn't matter what you're writing about you know and and don't worry about some editor in your own mind or some teacher standing over your shoulder you just you just write just free write you just put a pen on paper or if you're clicking at a keyboard don't worry about grammar don't worry about punctuation don't worry about any of that just get the words down write with your heart first revise with your head exactly so buddy i've got two more questions for you sure the first one is brought to us by my buddy jonas kane hashtag positivity he wants to know in your own words what does it mean to be someone's buddy? What it means to be someone's buddy. You know what? I'm so glad that you asked me about this. And I actually wrote down a couple of notes because I feel like this is such an important question, mm -hmm. especially in the world that we're living in. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it means meeting people where they're at. I think that's one of the most important things that we can do is like, if you're having a rough day and I'm not, that I sit and listen to you. If you are in a joyous period of your life and I am struggling, I still celebrate with you. And I'm present to you in that moment. I'm listening. I'm attentive. I'm there for you no matter what. And it, maybe I can't offer you like the greatest advice, or maybe I feel like I can't do a lot for you. But if I'm meeting you where you're at, and I'm being present for you in that moment. I feel like that's one of the most important ways to be a buddy. Love it. And you're right. Buddy's there for you, thick or thin. They're yes. there for you. Whatever you're going through, they're going through, you know. I think so. it just helps you be more compassionate. And mm -hmm. 
people have been so gracious with me over the last couple of years. I've had this past year has been a lot better. But when I was teaching through the COVID times, I hit a very dark time in my life. I was very angry and I would go to the gym at the end of the day and people just knew I wasn't well. And I'm, I'm lucky to work out with a lot of people who are just were a big community. And every day they would just meet me where I was at. If I was having a bad day, if I had an okay day, if I needed to just not talk, because when you're a funny person, you know how it is. People just, if you're not funny, they think that you're not well. Exactly. Like, are you not, are you not feeling well today? It's like, if I don't have my makeup on, people will be like, are you sick? It's like, you know what? It's okay for me not to be funny sometimes. So just meet me where I'm at. Like, if I want to be quiet, let me be quiet. It's, it's okay, okay to ask me. Yeah. Meet people where they're at. Be a buddy. Mm-hmm. Love that answer. So now, buddy, we've come to what's called the ultimate buddy cast buddy question. You ready for this one? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> we've been talking a lot of advice on this show. What's your ultimate advice to anyone out there watching today who wants to dabble in comedy? 100% be yourself. Don't try to be anybody else on stage other than who you are. An audience wants the authentic version of you. I think that's the most important thing. If you're not comfortable sharing stories from your own life or whatever, at least use your own voice. Like, just don't be afraid to be yourself. Everybody knows that being on stage is vulnerable. And if people can't appreciate that, then whatever. But just be yourself. Be yourself. Love it. Be authentic. Be real. Be you. Yeah, don't try to mimic somebody else. Um, you might have a lot of people who you are uh, inspired by and whose style and whose voice you're like, oh, that's great. And I used to encourage my students like, well, then try to write in that person's voice because sometimes when we try to mimic other people, we find out who we are. Um, but the most important thing is to just try to be yourself. You're obviously, you're obviously tremendous. So be that. Mm-hmm. Be you. Love the advice. Well, buddy, thank you so much for being a buddy here on BuddyCast. Stick around. We'll chat for a minute afterwards. I would love to. Thank you, Nick, so much for having me. Mm -hmm. And before we end today's episode, I have one favor to ask you. Whatever you do today, tomorrow, next week, next month, or even next year, please go be someone's buddy. Absolutely. Awesome. I'm on board. Mm-hmm. For all my buddies out there, this is my buddy, Lisa Foster. Please check out her comedy if she's in the area or come to Erie. See her at Colors. You yeah. won't regret it. I'm your host, Nick Sorensen. Thank you for joining us on another episode of everybody's favorite show, BuddyCast. Go be someone's buddy, and we'll catch you all next time. Thank you. Well, the days are going fast, buddy, buddy, we've got to make them last, buddy, buddy, before. Hey buddies, you thinking of starting your own podcast? Why not use Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast, and here's why. First off, it's free. Secondly, you have creation tools to record and edit right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor distributes for you. You can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Fourth, make money with no minimum listenership. 
And finally, you have everything you need for a podcast all in one place. So what are you waiting for? Download the free Anchor app today or go to anchor.fm to get started.